Hello and welcome to Setting the Stage, Episode 8, Addy and Blades in the Dark. So why don't you get started by um, introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about who you are outside of uh, role-playing. Oh, uh, okay. So I am uh, Atreus Vinyasa. Uh, just call me Addy. That's just what I go by. Uh, other than that, um, I'm an avid board gamer. I've been gamer for a long time, video games and all of that. So, like, D&D is just naturally part of who I am and all of that sort of thing. I live in uh, northern Michigan. I actually work at a uh, supposedly haunted hotel. Uh, the night shift there, rather fun. I like it. So, cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, other than that, I like uh, bike riding, which is not going to happen as much in these upcoming months, but... It'll be better once the uh, snow goes away, so. Cool. Yeah. My family has a place on Boblo, so I'm usually up there, like, once a year, about. Neat. Okay. Uh, how did you get started playing D&D? Uh, well, it was just, like, years and years ago, uh, you know, back in, like, early 2000s. Uh, it was high school, and that was just one of the geeky things to do, is just to hang out with some people like I got into a group of friends and we started playing like Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons and uh started with second edition but uh we really st I started learning uh third edition like right afterwards and we just kind of like kept on going from there um for the most part like I really put a lot more time into 35 than anything else but it was like just like you, like the Friday after school, you just hop into, you know, the friend's van, and you all drive out to the place, and you just stand out, you stay out there, make characters, and you do that for the entire weekend, <laughs> and yeah. come to, you know, school on Monday, you know, a kind of zombie sort of thing, and you just live that life, and that's kind of the way that we were. Uh, didn't really care too much about what was going on and everything, but it's just like... After a while, like, ideas just kind of shifted together, and you start realizing that, you know, it's it's more than just, you know, a couple of guys getting together. Like, there's some actual, like, storylines that can actually happen from this that you can actually make some pretty cool things happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So you guys started playing D&D uh, &D initially, and that not some other uh, system? Yeah. Um, well, it was... Initially, it was the older brothers who had already played from, like, a second edition and stuff. And then they taught us that. So we just naturally picked up, you know, third edition. When it was, like, being really promoted uh, pretty heavily from Wizards of the Coast at this time. We're talking 22 years ago at this point. So okay, this was yeah. when they first got a hold of it. And when they were like, oh, yeah, D&D is cool and everything. And they put out a million books. And we bought all of them because well we are consumers uh but yeah it's mostly a lot of D, D for years and years and years and it wasn't until i actually went to a different group where i started trying out different systems and stuff i uh moved a little bit more up north and that group did a lot of white wolf uh a lot of like vampire the masquerade and a lot of like gurps and stuff i did a lot of rifts up there as well and it's just like i've been kind of fascinated by how different systems will handle different things. And although I do love D&D &D quite a bit, and 5th edition is good, 
definitely. I just love like opening up a new like manual for an RPG and seeing what they want to do with that sort of like playground. Uh-huh. How was White Wolf? I've always wanted to to try that, but I've never really had the the situation where it was possible. It's uh, different, <laughs> yeah. but just like all the other things, you know, um, you really have to have a DM that, well, uh, I think they call him moderator in that one, uh, that really kind of can kind of pull things together in this kind of like weird sort of thing. But, you know, like if you've seen the movie Underworld, you understand how White Wolf works. It's like mm. it's that world. It's just your one of the actors within it. Not necessarily the main character that's doing all the butt-kicking, but, you know, you're one of the, like, players that may be, like, doing some of the societal shifts instead. So maybe some of the, like, people in the background that, like, work weird magic and stuff or something like that. How did you get started uh, as a DM? Well, that gets back into, like, playing... uh, Dungeons and Dragons and stuff when we were getting together as like the friends and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just maybe months, maybe years of playing like this, and we just introduced a new guy uh, into the uh, into our group. Uh, his name's Shu. Absolutely love him and everything. But it really was like we he had a great time his first time there. And then like the next week we're all gearing up and getting ready. And we're asking him, okay, so what character do you want to play this week? Cause we're always playing different characters. We're always doing somebody else's game. We're always running all these other things. And he just pipes up and says, I want to play the character I made last week. And it just kind of dawned on us all at once where we're like, Oh yeah, that's, actually how you're supposed to play the game (laughs) like you're supposed to actually have an ongoing story that sort of thing so and i was the dm for that one where he said that so i just started being our first dm actually which was kind of weird but it was you know it just that's the way it evolved into and we didn't care we were just teenagers having fun so so how would you you just been like sort of rotating DMs before that? Yeah, and well, honestly, a lot of my groups are rotating DMs. I kind of find that to be a much better kind of environment to be in. Uh, you hear a lot of the people talking about the forever DM and it's just like they get shoved into the place and all of that. But like if you have a DM that's a player they will be able to help you out to be able to kind of move around with the mechanics and everything and kind of move the story in that way. So if you have, like, everybody around the table understand that, oh, this is what the DM's doing, I should try and help that out, it actually kind of is more collaborative in that way. So everybody actually starts thinking more like not just players, but also like the DMs, so it's more of a well-rounded concept. Okay. All right, so it's you don't feel like it's something that was forced on you. You like doing it. I feel yeah, like most I, of the people. On the I show absolutely do. love doing it. So, um, like, I haven't stopped. I really haven't in the twenty-plus years so far. It's just like something that, like, I I want to run a game because I have a story that I think is really cool. So start it up and you know play grab players it's a lot of times grabbing new players and pulling new people into the whole hobby and everything but yeah it's never something that i think is like 
a job. It's something that I think is just more fun. All right, cool. Um, you want to get into your your campaign world now? Uh, so Blades in the Dark. It's, whew, it's it's pretty cool. <laughs> no, yeah, I definitely I definitely like playing it a lot. Uh, I've ran a couple of games, not a whole lot in it, but like this might be my favorite system of all of these, of all of the ones that I've played, simply because it's more of a collaborative effort. It's not as much like, you know, I'm the DM, so you have to listen to what I'm doing. It's like, no, some of the players can suggest like consequences or things that'll happen. And it just kind of like, it's less work on the dm but it's still like very much everybody coming to the table and bringing their a game so there's a lot of cool things that you can do in this sort of thing and the setting is just absolutely wonderful it is that kind of like gritty dark literally dark kind of fantasy (laughs) but it's also got like the steampunk and the weird science and it's kind of got that gothic horror but also like lovecraftian horror with it and it's just like there's so much awesome in this i love it um yeah so i i'm guessing some of our listeners aren't aware of what blades in the dark is um do you want to give an explanation of it or do you want me to do it uh well um blades in the dark is uh it is from the uh the apocalypse system or at least the concept of apocalypse system which is more of a fiction first kind of concept uh where you know it's more about like do the cool thing like describe what it is that you're trying to do and less worry about the mechanics that are in front of you the mechanics will wrap themselves around what you're trying to do not the other way around you're not trying to make your character do all these cool things your character just does the cool things and we figure out how that happens later on it's much faster much more collaborative like i was saying but in this game uh you don't play as heroes you don't play as adventurers you are scoundrels you are not necessarily the dregs but you are just somebody that's trying to claw claw their way up through society just being able to get just enough coin to be able to live somewhat comfortably in a world that definitely wants to beat you down because they have all the wealth and you do not so you're trying to fight back you're trying to find your own little piece of the pie in this world that really doesn't have a whole lot of pie to go around mm-hmm. Blaze in the Dark also has an established setting that works really well with it uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's Duskful which um <laughs> From my reading of it, feels like they entirely listed, lifted Duskwall from uh, the Dishonored game. Uh, they very much probably could. Like you could close your eyes and see, like Dishonored in the like. They actually have uh, a couple of cornerstones that are listed in this book that mm-hmm. list. Uh, let's see. Uh, Dishonored series, Thief the Dark Project, Bloodborne, uh, any of that sort of games, if you've played it, like, that's exactly, like, the sort of things that you have here. Um, like, they also, like, list films like Crimson Peak and Gangs of New York or TV, like The Wire or Peaky Blinders. I've never seen many, uh, I haven't seen many 
systems that will say, okay, if you like these sort of things, then that's the kind of feel that you're going for. They even have a theme song, which is kind of weird. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, but it's like super cool. Uh, Furnace Room Lullaby by Neko Case, if anybody wanted to go and look that up. so. Um, and a- actually, um, Dungeons & Dragons had uh, that uh, same sort of like, here are some touchstones for the the game in some of the early edition i think it was called appendix n or something like that or it was just a list of books that gary gyjax had been inspired by so i it's that idea of providing like a list of things where people can like get the feel for the the game has been around for a long time and like coming from other role-playing systems, it makes sense to have that sort of thing to say, okay, well, this is the kind of idea that you want to go for. This is the kind of theme that they want to have. And a theme like, you know, a bunch of, well, more or less criminals getting together to form a gang. And that gets into some of the crazy cool mechanics of what Blades in the Dark actually is, too, so... I don't know if we want to move on to that sort of concept. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's enough for people to get an idea of the setting. Um, but yeah, the the mechanics. Um, so the the idea of Blades in the Dark is that you're like, usually you're sort of a, a thief, so you're trying to like steal something. Well, it actually depends on uh, what actually the the crew itself is. And yes, that's when right. You, when you make a character, you you make kind of like a cookie cutter kind of sort of thing. But also, while you're making a character, the entire group decides on what is a crew. And that is like an extra player character sheet that everybody gets to use, which is such a cool concept. Like everybody's working towards being a specific crew. And like you were saying, you could be like thieves, or you could be assassins, or you could be a cult that is supposed to, like, revere your god in certain ways, and your, like, religious kind of thing kind of sends you on doing strange missions of weird occults, like, ghosty things, kind of that. Mm-hmm. And, like, you gain not just notoriety through this, as you level up, yes, you level up your crew as long as as well as your character as well. Uh, But they can also, like, gain more stuff. Like, you can get, like, boats or other transport to be able to move around, like, the cities and stuff. You can get other cohorts to be able to help you out or, like, physicers to be able to help heal up your people and those sorts of things. There's just a lot of really cool things that you can get by just everybody working together towards this common goal. And that's kind of one of the concepts of this, too. Because you might have, like, a character that's like, oh, I'm this gruff badass and all of that sort of thing. But then, like, you find yourself in more or less a heist movie. And you've got, like, a plan of what everybody is going to do and everything. And it's like, yeah, you're that gruff guy that's going to stand guard and make sure that all that's going to happen. But, like, push comes to shove, you might need to jump around and do some other things, too, to be able to help out what the plan is. And that's kind of getting into what the entire thing that John Harper was making when he made the Blades in the Dark system is. It's about just jumping in and just damn the consequences because the consequences are going to follow you anyways. 
So you just jump in and like hit the ground running. You drive your character like it's a stolen Ferrari, and you just go full tilt. That's a great introduction to what the game is like when you're playing it. And the way the blade system works is instead of having hit points, your character has uh, stress. So when you're on a mission, you're kind of trying to manage your character's stress level. Um, and you can sort of trade stress for harm. Um, and harm is like, you know, your character has a twisted ankle, so now their movement is half or something. I mean, that's not exactly how Blades works with half yeah, movement, not, but still. Not exactly, but it's a close approximation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you're trying to manage your stress, because if you get, I think it's nine stress, then your character is effectively knocked unconscious. For and it's the, not necessarily knocked unconscious. Um, it's just you're out of the mission. Right. So maybe, like, a jealous lover caught you, and you're literally being, like, dragged by your ear out of the situation so you can no longer help out with the plan, that sort of thing. Or maybe you got, like, uh, you saw something so horrific that your character cannot really comprehend it, and you're just babbling, like, gibberish and not able to actually help. Uh, yeah, or, like, that, like, you are got surrounded by a cops and the, and the heist. Yeah, your character got to, arrested, your character had which to leave. is something that can very yeah. easily happen in this game, too. Because uh, you're not doing, yeah, yeah. like, legal activities. Everybody's kind of, like, doing things that are uh, questionably moral. Questionably moral. Uh, but still, it's like, you're still trying to, like, manage that. And, like, with your stress, not only is it, like, that you lose all your stress and you're out, but your stress is also what fuels your abilities. So you can, like, spend this stress to be able to help out a buddy and be able to give them a better role on what they're doing. Or you can spend that stress on yourself, too. Of course, when you do that, it costs more stress, and that leads into other things, because, you know, bad things can be really bad. You mentioned this is uh, powered by the apocalypse, or uh, not quite. It's more similar... like the it's more like the concepts and ideas of it, the philosophies of powered by the apocalypse is yeah. in this. Yes. Yes. So the the apocalypse games have this like mixed success thing where you're rolling in in that system mm -hmm. you're rolling two d six and you you're trying to get um I I forget the exact numbers but like uh. You tr if you get like a twelve on the two d six, then that's a that's a success. So you get to like just yeah. do whatever you were trying to do. Um, if you get like a a nine, ten, or eleven, then you succeed, but there's some consequence. Mm. Um, so in in blades, there's a similar system where whenever you're using a a, a skill, um, you roll the number of dice equal to the number of points you have in a skill, and they go from yeah. one to four. The success is on a six. If you roll, if any of the dice come up as a six, then it's a success. Um, and if any of them come up as a four or five, then it's a. Well, if you don't get a six, and if any of them are a four or five, then it's a mixed mixed success where there's a consequence. Well, yeah, it's you still succeed. Like you still do exactly what you were trying to do, but there is a consequence. There is something bad that happens. So I had this one point where there was a sniper that was, like, overlooking um, the rest of the party, the rest of the crew, like, underneath them. And we had the Leviathan Hunter, like, up on top. And he's like, okay, 
I'm going to jump over this gap and I'm going to whale him in the face and I'm going to rip that gun away from him so he can no longer shoot at any of us. It's like, yeah, great, that's awesome. So he goes ahead and rolls for it and he gets a five out of it. Yeah, awesome, you go ahead and get your gun. And then we're like, okay, what consequence should we have for this? And this is another cool thing I like about this system is it wasn't me that suggested this. It was the alchemist, another player actually suggested, just blurted right out, hey, that gun should be cursed. <laughs> and so, yep, that's exactly what happened. They go ahead and stop this guy, and now he's got a cursed gun that he can use whatever he wants, but it's cursed. So, could be kind of bad if he, you know, uses it in a bad situation. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah, that's that's the basic mechanic, is then you, you have this cursed gun, and that can then you know, initiate other fun storytelling later on, because now you, you as a you have this prompt as a DM to design all this stuff related to the cursed gun. And as long as the characters are still enjoying it, or they could just, you know, not use it so it's not really relevant. That's what gets back into where it kind of folds into the philosophy of powered by the apocalypse. It's about just snowballing actions. Yes, you did the awesome thing, but that triggered another thing, which might trigger something else, which might trigger something else. And as you're DMing this, it's a lot of fun for me because I've just got all of these threads that I can just tug on whenever I want to be able to say, okay, well, you want to do this. Well, that screwed over this person over here. Now they're going to go and talk to the police, the blue coats about it, and maybe things will end up even worse for you. But, you know, I have all of those options to be able to just make the story that much more bombastic as you continue to play the game. And even when you start, your characters are just kind of like like a mold, like a lump of clay, basically. You say, okay, well, I'm going to make a brute or I'm going to make like a sly character to be able to a face character, that sort of thing. But you don't really define who they are until you start playing the game. And I think that's one thing that's absolutely incredible. Uh, so I had um, a character in my last session. Uh, and it's his, I was teaching a new... He's a new player to the game. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was going through and like going through some of the mechanics and going through all of that. And I introduced... like He wanted to be a Leviathan Hunter. Oh, we should probably explain those sooner than, rather than later. But we'll get back to that. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. so so uh, there's a uh, tattoo artist and that wanted revenge on this uh, one guy that stole her inks, right? Mm -hmm. And that tattoo artist, uh, by the name of Triss, only works with Leviathan Hunters. So, like, when I brought this up, I looked at that player and said, okay, so... You would know this information because you would know of this character. And I just straight up asked him, does your character have a tattoo? And he looked at me, he's like, yeah, of course. And then, like, the conversation moved to somewhere else. And then another player mentioned, oh, yeah, may maybe that tattoo artist isn't that good. And the character that had the tattoo is like, no, no, no. And he pulls up his sleeve and he describes this giant snake tattoo that is all up his arm and goes down his chest and like wraps around part of his leg. This was made in the moment. That is now a much more visual character that like b was born from just a few prompts. 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. I I feel like the system really encourages that type of storytelling. Mm -hmm, um, definitely. I think it's really cool. Uh, but to get back to Leviathan Hunters, we kind of have to explain Cataclysm and thing like that. And going back to that. Uh, I wanted to explain one more thing about the mechanics is that the experience for blades, uh, like if your character improving, is sort of defined by how they fail. Um, so you get an experience point in a skill whenever you fa whenever you have a failure rolling that skill. Um, that's specifically only for if you push yourself to go a little bit higher. Um, so when you make a roll. Uh, there's a couple of things that happen. It's a little bit of back and forth with both the player and the DM to be able to decide what is going to happen. So first thing that happens is the player decides, I want to do a thing. And I think that thing is going to use this skill right here. And you've got 12 different skills. Hunt, study, survey, tinker, finesse, prowl, skirmish, wreck, attune, command, consort, and sway. And these are just very simple descriptions that you can kind of like use and manipulate any way that you feel that works. Mm -hmm. So let's say I want to punch that guy. I want to use my skirmish to be able to punch that guy. Okay, yeah, that makes total sense. Let's go ahead and do that. And then as the DM, I get to decide both the position and the... Uh, I, I always just think of it as like how good you do against it, which is like usually like pretty good or pretty fair or average um or if you're like i want to punch that guy but he's just this little weasley thing and all of that it's like yeah you you will have a greater success against that sort of thing but i also get to define how bad the consequences can be <laughs> for you to fail and if that consequence is really high up to the highest level uh Get what exactly that is. It's uh, harm actually... three, I think. Is that what you mean? Uh, that's not the thing that I'm thinking. Oh, of. right, the effect uh, level, like severe. The effect level, yeah. Uh, let's see. So it's the the position is the consequences. So a worse position will put you into. Uh, the ability to be able to get XP from that easier. So a lot of times, and a lot of players like realize this right away, and like, no, I'm going to just push myself into a riskier position. I'm just going to be bold and brash about everything about this. And in which case, you know, they will have a better effect by putting themselves in a worse position. So like standing over that little Weasley guy, you're putting yourself at a point where that Weasley guy could get a critical hit on you, you know, just kind of, like, smack you in, like, the jaw or something, like, while you're not watching or something like that. But you're more likely to be able to succeed in those sorts of cases and do better with that. Yeah, I thought that, that was... Sense. Yeah, I just, I just thought that was a really interesting thing. Where you It is to... a very interesting uh, mechanic and way to do things. But also, XP is measured at the end of every session. Uh, where there's a couple of questions that you will ask. Well, and I like to do this like with my players individually, like at the end, and it's just kind of like a little wrap up of what happened. What are these examples, and what are those sorts of things? Just reading off of the slide character right here that I've got in front of me, and a slide is more of a face character. There's several classes, but this is kind of that 
sort of like spy sort of person. Yeah, yeah, like a charming guy, but not necessarily very good at fighting yeah. or shooting. So you get an XP, like I said, for that uh, desperate action for the worst position there. Uh, also, you would get XP for if you addressed a challenge with deception or influence. Uh, you would also get XP for if you expressed your beliefs, drives, heritage, or background. So basically, if you showed that this is my character and this is why my character is my character, going into that, you get experience for that. And the last one is you struggled with issues from your vice or traumas during the session. And although we went into stress, we haven't really covered vices, which is another really interesting part of this. Uh, so everybody has a vice. Everybody has um, the thing that they do to de-stress, the thing that they want to do to just put themselves into like a point of zen. And in Blades of the Dark, like it like puts this to a actual number. So yes, you gain stress by using abilities or by things happening while you're off on a job. But then you've got these downtime activities where and this kind of gets into more mechanics and stuff, of where basically you can say, Okay, I'm my character is like um my character's a drinker for example. Uh, so I'm going to go to the bar and I'm going to drink. And you do that, and that will actually heal some of that stress from you. So in that, in that example of my character being a drinker, if I struggled with issues from my vice, maybe, you know, I was supposed to do, I was supposed to be watching this uh, door over here, and I noticed there was a bottle of bourbon next to me, and I'm like... Well, maybe I'll have a little bit of that and go with a little bit of that. And that's just playing your character. And you get experience for playing your character. Yeah, I, I then again, it's this thing where it's like it, the system is incentivizing you to not just like kill the bad guys and get treasure, but to play your character because that's how you're mechanically rewarded too. I, I thought that was really neat. Exactly. And it's just kind of like your character just kind of like once you start playing it, like they start taking up like a mind of their own and they start being a more rounded person because of the way that you're playing your character, which makes you better at playing your character. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's also, I think the vice system is cool because then it gives the DM like these tools to like sort of needle at players by presenting the vice in a situation mm -hmm. um, for the players so that then they can sort of not do what they're supposed to be doing because the vice is there. Um, oh, yeah, exactly. I had one point where uh, there was a group, I had the group going through, like, basically, it, it was more or less a, a dungeon, but uh, they were going through this weird haunted house, and uh, they opened this one door, and it's just, like, stuffed to the brim with just junk, which then just fell out and, like, blocked the way for the rest of the path, kind of half separating the characters. And one of the characters is a collector of eclectic junk. So instead of helping out, he was just going and diving into the pile. He's like going, oh, birdcage, this is great. Oh, look at these manacles here. Yeah, like the, the vice doesn't have to be something that's like usually considered a vice in in like our society. So yeah, it's like collecting 
weird antiques can be the vice. Mm-hmm. There's a whole list of different ones in the book. Um, like one of the ones that like you might not initially think of is actually faith is another vice. Like you going like to church and praying would be like a vice. It is something that you do to de-stress, but it is something that is inherent to your character. It's like I have to go and perform this ritual to be able to pray to do this. And that is an example of another vice. There's a lot of different things you could do with it. I think my character and one of the ones I played was like community service was his vice. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. uh, It's a bit harder to bring into a mission with that one, but still, it was cool to have Uh, that. Yeah, but still, like, it it happens. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's enough on the mechanics. I didn't want to get all into the the downtime stuff because that gets pretty complicated, and I don't that think it's... and really like it's one of those games that you want to sit down and like take it a little bit at a time. Yeah, yeah. like you're not going to learn how to play this game just by listening to us talk about it. Sit down, play it, and actually feel these mechanics because they all work very well together. Yeah, I've, there's just a lot of mechanics. It it's a lot of mechanics, but I felt like it it's actually pretty easy to understand once you're playing it. Mm-hmm, so you're basically exactly. just like you you roll some dice and you get a success, and the DM the DM has a lot more to manage. But <laughs> <laughs> the otherwise it's just like oh okay, so you know I'm just rolling dice and doing stuff, and like I it's mm-hmm. like you said that the game itself is incentivizing you to to make decisions that are interesting and fun. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you want to get into the the setting. You were going to talk about Leviathan, so I guess we can start there, or at the Cataclysm. Firstly, yeah, we should explain the Cataclysm. So, like, the world that they have set up in here, uh, it is pretty much just the Shattered Isles is what it is known as. Uh, But uh, more or less, like, if you can imagine, like, up until, like, the year 1000, uh, their world and our world were incredibly similar. It like a lot of ways, very much the same, same kind of people and all of that. A little bit of exploring, a little bit of like technology and everything. But then at around year 1000, or specifically in game, it was 847 years before you start this game. Uh, something happened known as the Cataclysm, and nobody really knows exactly what happens, probably something with demons and all of that sort of thing, but it changed the world fundamentally in three different ways. Number one is the sun goes dark. Blades in the Dark isn't just a clever title. It is literally in darkness. There are the stars. There is a moon up there that does shine, which is really weird when you start thinking about it. But for the most part, like, people, like, walk around dark streets because there's no sunlight. There's nothing like that. You carry around lanterns to be able to have your own light to be able to move around. But there's also, like, the technology and, like, some small bits of, like, electricity that's starting. But that's getting a little ahead, too. Yeah. The second thing that happens is ghosts. When a person dies in this world, they will become a ghost. No matter what, well, there's ways to be able to change that. But still, there's nothing that you can do within your life to be able to prevent your spirit from rising from anywhere from, I think it's two to five days after your death. 
and ghosts like they start off like thinking oh yeah everything's okay and everything but they have this sort of hunger this sort of need to be able to eat something from the living and they can't explain it and no scientist has been able to explain it there's no real thing about this but they really just want to invade people and when they do so they start like stripping parts of their like spirit or their soul from it so ghosts are pretty bad things they're kind of like zombies and much like zombies remember this happened 847 years ago there's a lot of ghosts in this world so what they did uh they found well this specific person known as the immortal emperor who's been around for a long time but nobody really knows a whole lot about him he is kind of the one that's ruling the world but nobody knows much about him <laughs> anyways uh so he came up with these idea this idea of like a tesla coil kind of thing these large giant towers that they set up around the cities and they will constantly shoot back and forth lightning and these are known as the lightning curtains. And this seems to have stopped the uh, ghosts from passing through it. So a lot of humanity at this point is kind of cloistered into these like large cities. Uh, well, around like the countryside and everything is just like giant swarms of these ghosts that just walk around everywhere and they're just looking for something to feed off of and the moment they find something everything's going to jump on it much like a zombie apocalypse sort of thing going on so imagine like the entire united states kind of necessarily crammed into new york la and chicago and that's what they have to put up with because everything else is very dangerous land <clears throat> So this gets into, well, these giant lightning towers that have all of these things. So where does electricity come from? Well, it comes from <laughs> demon blood. And this is the third change that happened after the cataclysm. See, the seas go dark. Um, something weird about it, like you can still see like some sort of reflection like in the water, but it's also kind of like different constellations down there and they move differently and everything but then when you start like staring into the ocean for long enough you start seeing giant behemoth leviathans and we're talking not just we're talking like the great cthulhu kind of giant leviathan here this is lovecraftian horror to a t we have krakens that just kind of swim out in these oceans and everything. And what people have found out, at least the immortal emperor has figured out on his own and let everybody else know, yep. is that you can take their blood and you can refine it because their blood is full of like souls of some sort of like energy and life essence. And this can be refined into a liquid known as electroplasm. And this literally plugs into machines and powers all of the machinery in this world. So we're talking those lightning towers. We're talking house lights for whatever house you have. Some houses will have like smaller like lightning uh, towers around them. 
that sort of thing, or maybe like elevators or anything like anything that is mechanical runs off of this uh, lightning stuff, which is literally demon blood. And the Leviathan hunters are the people that go out to go and get this blood, because that, of course, is very, very dangerous. Uh, I mean, if you could imagine, basically, like, Shadow of the Colossus style, climbing onto a giant thing swimming in the middle of nowhere and trying to take some of its blood without its noticing, that's kind of dangerous and scary. And that doesn't even get into the way that they used to get this blood. That was actually kind of scary. <laughs> uh this is back to that um, dishonored parallel. It's very similar to the mm-hmm. whale oil and the like. It's present and powers everything within Duskwall. Very much so. Very, very much so. And it's just like, you know, if you have like a small container of like electroplasm, you can just plug it into whatever machine you want to be able to power. Sometimes it's just like, you know, minor house lights. Sometimes it might be refrigeration units. It might be something that's like lights this area to be able to, uh, you know, actually like grow plants and stuff. Because remember, there's no sun. Therefore, there's not like plains of like wheat and stuff. People have to like do small farming within their homes. A lot of people will have like little mushroom farms and stuff. And they can use some of this, like, power to be able to try and get these uh, small environments to exactly what they want. To be able to have more than just, like, eels or mushrooms to eat. Yeah, so this this new energy source is, like, used throughout the city. And there's all these people that are trying to tinker with it and make new inventions with it. Because, like, the old... If there was an old system of technology, it's gone at this point, and just everything runs on electroplasm. Yeah, remember, the cataclysm happened, and there's not really much recorded history before that. Right. Like, anything that happened at that point, like, we lost whatever technology we had. If there was somebody that built the pyramids and had all of that set there, there's no pyramids anymore. So we don't know. (laughs) So the game mostly exists within... Uh, the the lightning tower zone that you were talking about and doesn't really mm-hmm. go outside of it. Um, and obviously you could have an adventure where you go outside of it because, you know, you, you can do it. You could, and want. actually some of the other continents, uh, they've found other ways to be able to uh, work with this. So uh, Duskfall is on the northern end of Akros, uh, which is the imperial kind of thing. You can think like Western European pretty much all of Akros. But there's also another continent known as uh, Severos, where instead of like having these large cities and everything, a lot of the people are actually nomadic. They go and they kind of like move around where the actual ghosts are, and they just kind of like have small villages that kind of work together, but they constantly move, and there is nothing that they've actually like worked there's nothing that, uh, there's no like uh, monuments or no structures that they've actually put up because of how much they move. And then you've also got the Dagger Isles, which does a lot of strange things, specifically with boats. They don't have as much. They don't have cities on the Dagger Isles, which is 
different than the Shattered Isles. Shattered Isles is the world. Dagger Isles is a place. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> but in the Dagger Isles, yeah, it's an archipelago. It's kind of like, um, kind of like the Caribbean sort of thing. And so they've got a lot of strange things, like maybe there's like some voodoo curse or whatever that they'll put on a boat, and that's what they use to be able to ward off these ghosts that are constantly moving around. And there are connections between the, the different ones with trains, I think? Uh, yeah, the lightning rails. So yeah, it is pretty much just a train. Um, a lot of like commuter train and like trades like goes through these lightning rails and everything and there's some factions of people that will ride alongside of these and like fight off anything that grabs at these trains but they're also like ran by electricity so ghosts don't mess with them as much it does happen but it's also stuff that's usually outside of the setting of duskwall so you could easily run something like that and do something cool but there, there's other things. Yeah. So the, because the ghosts are repelled by this demon blood electricity, they don't want to touch the train that's running on demon blood electricity. Exactly. Although I don't think it's actually explained why they don't like it. They just don't like it. So that's what we use. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you alluded to a little bit of this before with the emperor, but I think the system doesn't answer these questions because it's allowing you, as the like your group, to come up with an answer that fits what you want from the system. Exactly, and like I was explaining, one thing that I personally have done. Uh, remember how I was talking about the Leviathan hunters, how they go out and they suck blood and stuff like that. Uh, some people have described that as like you know people being like mosquitoes and sucking out a little bit at a time and then running away and everything. I like the idea, and I have put this forth because I just think it's super cool, of uh, Leviathan hunters actually being like a fleet of ships that will sail out to these giant creatures and actually start, like, ripping off parts of its tentacles and, like, parts of its limbs and then dragging that back to where they're actually going to refine the blood and stuff. Because, well, it is a limited amount of demon blood that you're gonna get, and we don't really know how many demons there are out there. But that also sounds like a very... Very interesting concept. A very cool, like, thing that you could easily throw your character into. Yeah, I never really thought about that that process. So that's cool. Um, so we've got the the setting, and it, you know, it's not it's not exactly your setting, but you've been playing for a while, so you have your own spin on it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. What are some things that you feel like you've done that are different or expansions on the official Duskwall setting that you're proud of that you've created or your players have created and you've been a part of, you know, because of how the system hmm. works. That might be a hard question. Hmm. So one thing, uh, like I keep on saying about like these like giant monsters, basically the great Cthulhu and Cthulhu horror. Um, I have actually dropped one of the great old ones on one of my party. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, Black Goat of the Woods um, I won't say their real name uh, You can look that up The year is 2022 <laughs> We don't need to be talking like that anymore uh, So like they didn't know going into it But like it was just one of these points Where there was some strange things And like there was this person That walked into Going back, going back, going back 
So the party, the crew, uh, ended up taking this bar, right? It was owned initially by the, um, what was that faction? The Red, Red, the Red Sashes. They didn't like the Red Sashes, so they're like, oh, well, they, they're going to take this bar, and they're going to take that all from them, and they successfully did so. Cool. The first thing I had happen was somebody came in and tried to sell them some weird blue milk. And at first you're just like, okay, this is weird, I don't like that idea, that's strange, and all of that sort of thing. And if you have any idea, then you're already seeing things that are happening. But this was kind of like a... A, a small little movement that was going on. And I, I kind of mentioned every once in a while that they would see somebody drinking this blue milk. And the party is like, no, 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 just dump it down the drain. It's like, I don't care. I don't want to have anything to do with it. It's too weird. So that kept on going on. And then some people started going missing a little bit later. Uh, specifically, uh, the leader of the Lamp Blacks, actually, Bazo Baz. Uh, which was a very close friend of these guys, just ended up missing one day. And they're like, okay, this is kind of weird and all of that sort of thing. And then they start like getting these reports that something strange was going on like in the mines. So uh, Duskwall specifically was created uh, as actually a mining community before anything, before the Cataclysm even. Right. So, like, there are great deep mines, like, underneath Duskwall. So, they're like, oh, there's something strange in there. Yeah, let's get together. Let's get some of our crew and everything, and we're going to dive in there. We'll, we'll have some people take care of these things there. So, they start going into the mines and everything, and they start looking around, and they find, like, deep underground that there is an actual forest of dead trees. No sunlight, no like light around or anything, but there are trees planted everywhere. And they're just kind of walking through this path and going through all of these sorts of things. And I threw a few like strange creatures at them and everything. And then they found uh, like this place where they were like dumping people into these like bathtubs filled of like this blue milk. And then when they were pulling them up, these people were transformed into grotesque forms. And they're like, oh, no, we burn it with fire, burn it with fire, kill everything, take care of all of that. And then they hear the chanting. They follow the chanting to another clearing where there are a bunch of cultists all gathered around like this circle. And they start summoning like this great, huge many-mouthed demon known as the Black Goat of the Woods. And they're doing this summoning ritual, and at the center of it is a malformed Bazo Baz, who is like, <laughs> gone through some of this, like, weird Mother's Milk thing, uh, yeah. and is now, like, kind of, like, the sacrifice for this great thing to be able to come into this world. And the entire time, it was just, like, it was so much fun pulling off not just Lovecraftian horror, but, like, something, like, out of these stories that I've never been able to pull in. I've never played um, Call of Cthulhu. I really want to sometime. But I always feel like when you're, when you're like, 
doing that, you're kind of expecting eldritch horror and everything. Right. So when you're going into a place and it's just like little weird, little weird, little weird, crank it all the way up and see how horrific these things are. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, I had a a similar thing where I got, I mean, not not as extreme, but where if you get to bring in horror elements into a game that's not called the Cthulhu, it's more impactful because people aren't expecting it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. Mine was in D and D, but still. You know, it's oh yeah, definitely. Same principle. But, and like Blades in the Dark is just like Duskfall is such a perfect like uh, environment to just drop something in like that very very easily oh yeah yeah that's definitely in the theme of the of the setting for sure oh yeah and it actually is stated like in parts of the book like there is like a religion uh that is like the ecstasy of the flesh and it's like kind of a secret society sort of thing but most people don't actually revere that they revere what is known as the old gods and you might like while snooping around somebody's house you might find like a little shrine with some weird toad on it and go oh okay that that's cool they revered some weird toad thing <laughs> yeah that's a good question um so D- duskfall is just humans but it, like it still has like faith and god in some way um, mm-hmm. or or gods. Um, so I guess you you answered how you brought Cthulhu mythos into the the campaign. But what about um, other religions and other faith? How how has that existed in in your version of Duskwall? I haven't done a ton with religion, mostly because uh, this is a collaborative game, and I just haven't had any player that wanted to like explore those opportunities and those avenues. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that I don't have ideas. Um, like I might pull out something for the group that I'm running right now, but I don't think it's going to happen like that. I think I might run something that might be a little more weird or something that might have more to do with like the arts. Um, I was thinking about doing something with like, uh, like plays and performances and that sort of thing. Um, but that's like ideas that I've got up in my head. It really does depend on what the what the actual players want to end up pursuing. Um, because really, like, I can have ideas for campaigns and I can put them in front of them. But Blades in the Dark is a game where you're like, okay, I can do this, or I can just go kill this guy and get like reward money for it. Or you can just make up your own quest and say, oh, this person wronged me. Hey, guys, do we want to, like, do something bad to this person? Do we want to steal from them? Do we want to set them up? Do we want to, like, get them in jail somehow? And it's very much a collaborative thing on the part of the players because they have a lot more, um, they have a lot more ability to shape the story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I one of the things that I did when we were playing, I was playing with my group, was we um, we came up with our own jobs we wanted to do. So it was like, hey, I got a tip that there's like this emerald being transported, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and we can steal the emerald while it's in transit between the the two safe houses that it's stored at. Yeah, that's entirely perfect, and that's like the way that you kind of like. It's one of those things, like, as a DM, you you throw out the plot hooks, and you hope the players grab some of them and all of that. 
And this is just one where you can put out plot hooks, but they can also come up with their own plot hooks according to whatever they think their character wants. And you can just, like, slide an item there and say, oh, yeah, you have this little tip or you have this little information. Um, I had, uh, with one group, uh, they they were building uh, Bravo's organization, so a bunch of, like, uh, racketeers, um, people that would do, like, the people that would crack their knuckles and say, hey, we need some insurance money, that, that sort of gang sort of thing. Uh, but they actually recruited a couple of people from the Crows, which were another organization. Uh, but the... But the players kind of screwed over the Crows, so the Crows wanted to kill those two, like, goons, basically. So those two hirelings that the group had, they basically said, okay, these guys are great, they're going to protect us, right? Right? You're you're going to protect us, right? <laughs> and then, since the players didn't do anything about that, those guys up and left. Right. Because they just were like, no, we don't want to die, because we're going to if you guys don't protect us. But they didn't go for that hook. They went for something else. So. Yeah, um, and I, I thought that's, like, normally that's something that can be sort of frustrating as a DM if you, like, you've made an adventure and the players aren't going for it. But I feel like it works better in Blades because of the emergent storytelling aspect of it. You're usually not putting as much like specific planning into an adventure with like a battle map and like placing monsters and all of that. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with that, one hundred percent. So someone not going for your adventure hook that you put doesn't feel like as devastating because instead of it being like three hours of work you put into it it's like you you brainstorm something on your way to work and that's all the time you've lost <laughs> yeah basically and i've always done like this theater of the mind like i love theater of the mind and that to me makes so much more sense because you like whatever i describe whatever i understand i have it in my head what it looks like but it looks completely different to you and i don't want to break that fantasy i want you to live the fantasy that you are making within your head and like not having all of these like i've got plans but i don't have like this epic storyline laid out you're not going to the mountain defeating the dwarves getting the medal moving on to the next thing defeating them and then getting the medal from there no it's more like hey we've got this job and we're just gonna take care of that and once you're done with that you move on to the next job it's not one large arcing epic quest it's just a bunch of smaller quests that tie together very very tightly yep yep exactly so i think we've talked about the system and the setting a whole lot you want to talk about your your specific campaign that you've got going on uh well honestly i'm more or less just starting the one that i've got going on right now uh they haven't even named their uh their actual guild yet but they have decided that they are uh an assassin's guild okay cool. uh they've decided they wanted a boat so i was thinking about putting them on like like having like a boat house and they can work out of that sort of thing uh for people who don't know duskfall is kind of like venice so a boat is like a, a totally usable like very functional uh mode of transport 
the way they describe it in uh, the book is uh, Duskfall is equal parts London, Venice, and Prague. So if you can mash all three of those together, you got a pretty good idea of what this place <laughs> looks like. Uh, but yeah, like gondoliers are a big part of like transport to be able to get around. Each of the districts are separated by large rivers, and then there's more like tributaries like amongst all of those. Some of them have more rivers, some of them have less, but it's just as easy to hop on a gondola and get across town as it is hopping into a cart and riding that across town. Which, by the way, one thing I think is fantastic. In this world, or in uh, this land, uh, in Duskfall specifically, they don't use horses, they, they tend to use goats instead. Just a neat little touch. Well, I thought another part of that was that because food is so limited that most people would transfer to being vegetarian just because like that's more calories that way, and that a ha- lot of them are having a, mm-hmm. a an animal is like a huge status symbol. Um, but even then, they're still limited in like what what's the most useful animal. And so they've gone with like the goats because they are a beast of burden. Uh, you can also like milk goats. Like goat milk is kind of a like common thing around. Uh, goats, you can shear their uh, wool off to be able to make clothes and stuff. So they're a very useful animal. Yeah, and they're not quite as big as cows. Um, so a little bit more advantage there. Yeah, which really does help in a very large metropolis. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You can get a cow. You can get a goat into your apartment. You can't really do the same thing with a cow. <laughs> at least if you get the cow in the apartment it's never leaving <laughs> right um uh so yeah. yeah like you said like um blades often like has sort of episodic things where there isn't a larger plot that's overseeing it um mm-hmm. and even if there is it's not necessarily something you'd want to talk about on the podcast because then your players would hear about it and they might not uh, yeah know the so, broader strokes things that you have going yet <laughs> And a lot of these, like, two of my players have never played Blades before, so it's kind of going through a lot of the mechanics slowly. That's why they haven't named their, you know, their Assassin's Guild yet, so. Uh, They know that they're in the night market, and they know that they have a boat, other than that. (laughs) I don't think we named our group when I was playing. Um, Yeah, uh, I mean, that's fine if it just comes up later on. Oh yeah, totally. But yeah. I mean, the the easiest way to name a, a group if they don't have one yet is just like pick a street name that their their hideout is on, and that's it. Yeah, that's well, that's what a lot of the underworld is, and we haven't gotten into like I've mentioned a couple of the factions a little bit, but there are like sixty quote unquote factions in Duskfall. There, twenty of them are like servants or the people of this district sort of thing. But there's a lot of underworld like groups that have a lot of claim to parts of the city, and then there's the like institutions that are like parts of the like the police district and those sorts of ideas and concepts. And there's like consulates for like other like other countries that are technically all a part of the thing underneath the Immortal Emperor and all of that. Yeah, uh, but usually in uh, when you're running blades, like you've got this huge list of everything, and you want to focus on like five or six of them. 
It's like, what sounds interesting to your players? What what do they like the idea of? And that can kind of, like, pull yourself into the stories of what they kind of want to do. Currently, the people that I've, I'm running right now, they wanted to have a positive faction with the Bluecoats, which is the cops. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they kind of want to have a good rapport when they get caught by the police and saying, okay, yeah. We'll just throw a little bribe over here, and uh, you'll just let us keep doing our thing, right? Okay, cool. But in doing so, like, there's a lot of people that don't like those blue coats. Uh, for example, the gray cloaks, which are former blue coats that were kind of like uh, that were wronged in a way that gets into what might be story for something later. I'm not sure if I'm gonna run with that or not. Okay. But... okay. Leave it out. Yeah, that sort of thing. But also the spirit wardens are kind of like another thing that's like they are kind of untrusting of the blue coats because of how corrupt the blue coats are. Because you could easily just pass them some coin and they're pretty happy with walking the other way. Whereas the spirit wardens are like, no, we need to take care of our business. Otherwise, like all hell's going to break loose. <laughs> uh um that i always thought like you could also introduce your own factions as well so like you know you've got like all the little gangs and the the different support groups um for different areas but you could also just have like oh you have to like the lamp blacks have like the the plumbers are in their control so you have to like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know you you want to start getting you know the protection money from the plumbers the lamp blacks aren't getting it so then you have like a turf war over that yeah, exactly. And everybody is related in some ways, so introducing a faction isn't just saying, oh, there's these bad guys here, because that faction has, like, reputation with every other faction, so it's like, how do they view the Bluecoats? How do they view the Crows? How do they view the Leviathan Hunters or the City Council, you know? Introducing, like, I have introduced, like, villainous uh like factions uh the inconsiderates uh was an interesting one which i haven't i i might still keep like one of the twists like under wraps but it was basically just this faction that wanted to come in and steal from like the group that was there so like every once in a while oh somebody tried to like sneak into your uh lair there but the lock stopped them. Oh, well, there happened to be this strange, like, marking on the side of the bakery over here. Better keep an eye out for that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I thought that was something really cool with how how much is going on. But it does mean there's potentially a lot of work behind the, the screen for a DM isn't in designing an adventure, but in tracking the important relationships that you want to track. Yeah, and like I was saying, there's like 60 factions. You can ignore a good majority of these and still have a fantastic time. Yeah. You really can. Yeah, you can You can have a good game with just caring about three of those. Oh, yeah. Well, heck, that's what the opening scenario in the book suggests is the War for Crowsfoot, which is basically the Lamp Plaques versus the Red Sashes, and the crows are starting to come back into power because they just had a power struggle. So you've got a three-way war going, turf war going on, and it's, who do you want to side with? Come on, guys. If you don't, 
somebody's gonna kill you. <laughs> yeah, did you wanna give any more info on your your specific campaign, or is it? Yeah, I'm curious if there's something else you want to talk about. I don't think so. I don't think so. Like I said, like it's still pretty early in the campaign I'm running right now. They're really kind of like fleshing out what it is they want to do. And I've got a few ideas that I might throw at them, but it really just depends on how everything else is going to end up. Gotcha. Well, um, do you want to give any advice to any other DMs? Well, firstly, um, I'm assuming that if you're listening to this podcast, you probably play Dungeons and Dragons, or at least are familiar with it and everything. Right. And if all of this talk about like my love for Blades in the Dark hasn't convinced you, there are other game systems that other people that people just need to look at. Doesn't matter if they're good. Doesn't matter if you know it's your new favorite game. What matters is that it's different. And seeing different perspectives puts us all in a better position. Not just like as DMs, but as people in general. And just understanding, oh, I don't have to do everything this way. There are other ways to do things. There are other concepts that you can try. And sometimes shoot for the moon. Sometimes try these different things. Because you have no idea what you're missing out on until you just try it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Blades uh, is also has a lot of good support on Roll Twenty. Is another thing I, I wanted to note. Um, mm -hmm. That's how I play is Roll Twenty. So it's um, all the character sheets are there. All the like tracking for the different factions is there. Um, so it's it's really easy to to track all of the info there, even if you're not using that system to Roll Twenty to play yeah. it. Especially because, yeah, like definitely. you said, it's more of a theater of of the mind game. So actually mm -hmm. using like a virtual tabletop doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But having the character sheet tracking on that system is wonderful. Yeah, definitely. No, I scoured the internet when I first picked this book up. I scoured the internet for a form fillable like character sheet, and Roll Twenty is the one that actually came up and everything. So I kind of use that a little bit to just keep track of everything in my head. Like, I wouldn't do that at my table. Like, when I get to the table, everybody's got their stuff there and everything. Mm -hmm. But, like, I would record their character sheets and then put it there so that I could come home and then just look at this, like, web of all of the things that I'm doing and try and figure out where I want to pull my different threads and everything. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely useful. And also, it's not just Blades in the Dark. Like, uh, Forged in the Dark is an entire series. Uh, there's also Scum and Villainy, which does the same thing in space. Uh, there's Band of Blades, which does something, the same thing, but in, like, a wartime, kind of medieval wartime kind of setting. And there are a lot of other smaller ones that, like, uh, have popped up, because it's a very malleable system. The rules are very tightly, like, combined but you can easily like restructure this system to be able to make whatever setting you want out of it yeah i was um planning on doing the the western themed one next time i went back to the uh, system one i did pick up but i didn't actually like i i just read through it a little bit but it's called glow in the dark which is <laughs> oh. blades in the dark in an apocalypse setting which is really kind of funny i think because it's powered by the apocalypse 
That's cool. There's one called Desks in the Dark. <laughs> I think there was an anime one somebody was working on, too. I forget what it was, but... A Fistful of Darkness, that's what it was called. Oh, that is a good name. Don't you want to play A Fistful of Darkness? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a great one where like all of these different like hell meteors have fallen into the, the West, which have unleashed ghosts and stuff. Um, uh, so you still neat. have like the the ghost aspect of blades but it's um you know you've got you've got different um uh character sheets and uh different uh mm -hmm. crews um because you know it's, it could be cowboys instead of um assassins <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds super cool i'd play that well uh anything else you want to cover i think that's pretty good been talking for a little bit here yeah all right i think we're pretty good yeah all right cool thanks for coming on the show addy uh no problem thanks for having me and uh everybody have a wonderful day